peacekeepers um, during the siege, some of the extremists were actually communicating over an encrypted messaging app called Zello. So they have all of those discussions as well. And they show um, for the Oath Keepers, for example, that they were um, preparing for January 6th very much as if they were heading to war. So if there's evidence of advanced planning, I guess it could make it harder to argue that Trump's speech on January 6th was solely responsible for inciting the rioters. Certainly, uh, you know, his defense attorneys tried to, to raise that issue during his impeachment trial, and they said, you know, there's evidence that these extremist groups were going to do this. Um, so, you know, his speech certainly can't be responsible for that. Rod and I were talking the other night, the other day, yesterday. Rod and I were talking about society and the pendulum swinging back and forth. You know what I'm talking about? So as the pendulum swings, the theory is it comes back. And in a frictionless environment, this is true. The laws of conservation of motion apply in the pendulum continually swings, but we don't, we don't live in that kind of system. We live in a system that has friction. And so the pendulum loses momentum and doesn't, it never goes back as far as it went in the first place. I, I refer to this as ratcheting and maybe it doesn't apply as much with, with, uh, pendulums, but you see this very, very clearly in gasoline prices. What do I mean? Uh, Go back to the fifth grade when my science teacher, which wasn't Mr. Dodge, I was actually at Eagleton at the time, being bust, and I can't remember his name, but he was as cool as Mr. Dodge was, was planning a trip to Canada during the summer. And of course, that's when the gas crisis hit, and gas prices rocketed up from like 30 cents a gallon to 60 cents a gallon. And he made a big deal. It's the first time I ever remember a teacher making such a big deal about it, a political speech, that he was not going to pay 60 cents a gallon. It's a rip off. I'm not doing it. Canceled his trip to Canada. Didn't go. And then when the gas prices came back down, they didn't go down as far as they had been before. You may not remember that. Maybe they went down to 35 cents. And then the next time they went up, they went up to 70 cents, and then they came back down to 40. We saw this in 2008 when gas prices exploded. If you'll remember that, where I lived, I think they got almost to $5. I'm just trying to remember this morning. Uh, I think they got to like $4.98 at the station where I shopped next to the O'Briens there on Dale and Pellendale. But they never went back down as far as they had been before. This is known as a ratcheting. So we ratchet it up and every time it comes back down, we're all relieved. Oh, look, we're getting back to normal, except that it isn't the normal that we knew before. It is now, as the phrase says, the new normal, and it isn't the same as it was before, is it? We see this in societal changes. Um, Temperance was once a major movement in this country. And I guess you could consider it a socially conservative position, but temperance was and has a long history in my family, but um, temperance eventually leads to prohibition, which becomes the law of the land via constitutional amendment. 
only to be repealed 13 years later because the pendulum swings back. But does it go back quite as far? No, because now the government has tasted control of these things. And to this day, we still have the organizations that were formed, law enforcement agencies that were formed to enforce prohibition, which no longer exists, but the agencies charged with that do. And so what do they do now? Well, they have to move on. They have to change their remit and go on to other things, get their budget and go on. Drug use is a good example of ratcheting. Once it was completely, completely incomprehensible that some drug usage would be okay. But then, you know, it began to, to swing. The pendulum swung. And when it swung back and we still had these things illegal, it didn't go back quite as far. Now here in Washington state, we actually have a court ruling that says that <laughs> possession is no longer a crime. That's oversimplification, I get it. But, but in, in effect, that's what it's done. Unless you can prove, air quote, air quote, that there was an intent to distribute, well, then it's not a crime anymore. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what to tell you. That's where we're at. Marriage, of course, has been pendulumatic and ratcheted over the past 20, 30 years in our country. Things that were once incomprehensible now are normal. And if the pendulum swings back, what happens? In 1798, for the first time in our country's history, a new president was a president that wasn't named George Washington, was elected to the White House, to the presidency, the executive position of the United States. A new Congress was sworn in, and really for the first time in our country's history, um, political parties began to dominate the conversation. Political parties which, as uh, Lord Woodhousley would have said, were, were little more than partisan groups that were slavishly served by people who were promised things from them. In the middle of all this, of course, we're in the middle of a quasi-war with France, which is scaring the crap out of people because France is revolutionary at the time and they're cutting people's heads off and outrageously behaving in ways that are kind of scary to us. The incoming administration, seeing this, promised its supporters and its voters and the people who elected it to the leadership that it would do something to prevent that from happening in the United States. And so they passed three laws. Those three laws essentially were based in the idea that this was a national security emergency and something needed to be done. Alien Sedition Acts, Alien Enemy Acts, Alien Immigrant Acts. In essence, they made false statements. Of course, it didn't define false statements which criticized the government criminal. And newspaper publishers and editors around the country were arrested and charged with making false statements which criticized the government. They were put in jail. People who wrote articles and pamphlets criticizing the government were thrown in jail. Now, the law specifically said that the truth could be used as a defense, which is a bizarre thing to say, but they actually did say that. But in practicality... Criticizing the government became an, a, an imprisonable offense. 
These acts also gave the president, at the time, John Adams, the authority to imprison and deport people without any due process at all. It gave the president the authority to do that, not the courts, not Congress. The president was allowed to decide who could stay, who had to go. And if they were enemy aliens, that is, countries that we had decided were enemies, he could imprison people as as young as 14 without habeas corpus, with none of that. I mean, he could just throw them in jail or throw them out of the country or whatever. No, and, and again, a different world back then. And of course... The, that was 1796 was the, the election. 1798 is when these bills were passed. In 1800, these bills became a major, a major topic of discussion during the presidential election, which ended up with the Federalists being defeated and the Democrat-Republicans under Thomas Jefferson, who probably favored the French, but, but more than that, favored liberty and freedom and the First Amendment to the Constitution— won the power. And of course, they had an option here. They could repeal all these laws. They could replace the judges that found them constitutional and had used them to imprison people. Or something that almost nobody noticed was most of two of the three laws had an expiration date of 1801. So the laws were just allowed to expire. They were never actually repealed. The pendulum swung, except for one law. One of those three laws remained on the books. And when the pendulum swung back, it didn't swing back quite as far, did it? And that law, the Enemy enemy Alien Act, is still on our books today. It still exists today, and it still gives the president the power to imprison and deport enemy aliens, enemy being the operative term here, without any due process or anything like that. In fact, it was used... This specific law was used by President Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, to imprison thousands upon thousands of people of Japanese descent during World War II. It could theoretically then be used by others to do the similar thing. It ratcheted up our concept of these kinds of things. The laws, for the most part, were allowed to expire, and so, theoretically, the pendulum swung back towards the liberty side, the First Amendment side of things, and people were allowed to express their distrust and distaste with governments without being imprisoned, jailed, fined, whatever. But it didn't quite go back as far as it should have, did it? And more importantly, when it swings back the other way again, how far back does it come? In 1933, of course, in Germany, things were out of control. Violence was rampant in the streets. Now, part of this was planned. The National Socialists intentionally used violence to discourage the people in Germany, to create such a havoc that eventually the people, more than anything else, more than any political position, more than any philosophical position, more than any moral position, simply wanted the violence to stop. If we put Hitler in charge, if we put the National Socialists in charge, they've promised that the violence will stop. And so they did. And the violence stopped? Question mark? 
The ratchet moved up, though, didn't it? And the cost of that ratcheting would be almost incomprehensible. Where are we today? We started talking about this the other day. Where are we? Where are we headed? And this splendid Camara, Camara of an, a, a union and a democracy that's an impossibility, at least in the terminology of the uh, Lord Woodhousley, the man who invented the Tetley, Tetley cycle, which I hope you remember. Where are we now? Well, the ratchet has, or the pendulum has clearly, clearly swung. The question is how far will the ratchet keep it from moving back? We've seen now that the January 6th investigations have become, I would call them show trials. I really would. They are taking something to the extreme that, again, wasn't an insurrection. Was it a riot? Absolutely. Was it an insurrection? I'd be hard-pressed to fit that into a definition, but, but the political correctness of the era is we have to do that. And I was struck by this headline the other day, sitting here watching the news, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, I don't remember of last week, and, and this headline came across. DOJ expects to make at least 100 additional charges, arrests, related to the Capitol attack. And this poll quote, you ready? The investigation and prosecution of the Capitol attack will likely be one of the largest in American history, both in terms of the number of defendants prosecuted and the nature and volume of the evidence, unquote. Just let it marinate for a second and consider the pendulum swinging and the ratcheting effect in our country. Think of all the controversies all the potential criminal activity in the entire history of our country that required the federal government to investigate, prosecute, and clear, or whatever you want to call it, the Oklahoma City bombing, 168 people dead, 9-11, nearly 3,000 dead, Pearl Harbor, all of the things that you could, you could look at and say, well, these are things that could have been. And we're being told by the, by the, by the Department of Justice today that January 6th will be the largest investigation and prosecution in the history of the United States. Just let it sit for a minute. We have the cancel culture, wherein we see more and more people being attacked for expressing opinions that some people don't like. Who are these people? As Jerry Seinfeld used to say, who are these people? It's more like Gilbert Gottfried's imitating Jerry Seinfeld, but, but you get the idea. Who are these people? It doesn't really matter that there's not that many of them because they're loud and they're on the internet. And their entire life apparently is dedicated to finding people who nobody else is watching, nobody else cares about. The Grammy Awards is a great example. I didn't even know the Grammys were happening. I really didn't until I got up this morning and was told that they were canceling 
somebody because of it. Some comedian who made a joke about feminists, and it wasn't even really a joke. It was a, it was a barbed remark about the fact that he was a cisgendered white guy who, in fact, was being used to present a Latino music award. Well, what the hell's up with that, he kind of said. I don't remember his exact words. And for this, he's being canceled. By the way, he's married to a black woman. Got to cancel him. How dare he insult something? We have issues with our military. Tucker Carlson right now, who, by the way, I'm not a huge, I don't watch network news. I really don't. It's not that, it's not that I disagree with it or find it, I just don't care. But I do know that Tucker Carlson right now, who's a big fan, many of you are big fans of, is in the middle of a controversy over suggesting that our military spend more time practicing fighting than developing flight suits for pregnant pilots that we're spending too much time worrying about BS and not enough time worrying about actual mission. We're, we're, we're spending too much time doing that. And of course this creates controversy. Now, now we got to cancel Tucker Carlson. How dare he point out the fact that the military's job is to kill people and break things. But it all makes me wonder. It really does. Because we've, we've reached the point where the pendulum is swinging, where literally there must be, because of the way this is happening. The logical presumption is that there are people whose entire lives, whose entire existence, whose entire purpose is doing nothing but scouring social media posts to find something that someone said somewhere in time that causes offense and use that to ratchet the pendulum so that it doesn't swing back quite as far again. And we wonder, where is the pendulum? Where is the ratchet? Because that really, that really plays into where we are going, where, we're this, where I think this is heading, which I'm still not going to get to today. Where are we headed? Frankly, and I'm going to use a term that I'm stealing here, but I think we're headed for the digital gulag. I really do. I don't know what kind of governmental situation we're going to have, whether that's socialist, Democrat, socialist, republic, whether it's a Soviet socialist republic, whether it's a a tyrannical dictatorship, whether it's a communist dictatorship, same thing. I, I don't know. Theoxy, I don't know. But I guarantee it's going to be a digital gulag where you are simultaneously encouraged to be online and at the same time constantly watched, constantly monitored, constantly reviewed for what you've said, going all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the very starting point. And when we find something there with which we disagree, because the ratchet has now been moved, because the law is still on the books, because now the president can still decide who the enemy is. And if the enemy is domestic, all enemies foreign and domestic, right? And if the president, under the law, still has the authority to imprison and or deport enemies, as we have decided, and the law is still on the books, 
What's to stop the government from using the digital gulag to silence us? What do I mean? Hmm. Well, I'm out of time. We'll have to talk about that next time right here on Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast.